Well, ladies and gentlemen, you are in for something very special this week on Out of the Main. John, we have something bigger than the Holy Grail. <laughs> no, it bigger, is. It bigger is the than the Lost Grail. Ark, the Shroud of Turin, and the Dead Sea Scrolls combined. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> did you notice, by the way, as an aside, did you notice that intro music? That that's a that's a page ninety nine song in progress built on the sounds of Wendell, which we will probably get to. Oh, but to your point, it was one of those uh, papers in England. Was it the Guardian or the Telegraph that wrote an article? And the headline was the most important cassette on the planet at this time. It's like whoa, it it very well may be. It certainly is in yacht rock circles and especially yeah. the Steely Dan circle. So we'll have to explain and, as the kids say, unpack all that <laughs> as we welcome the daughter of a legendary music icon, Roger Nichols. Immortal. Immortal. Yes. Uh, his daughter, who's got a tale to tell. Please welcome everybody, Simsy Nichols. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So good to have you. Uh, you know, by the time this episode comes out, there will be videos that people have watched, other interviews that people have heard. But I don't think people can get enough of this story because it dates back for years for Steely Dan fans. Yeah, for years. And my saga, even to get it to you all, took years. And so, I mean, I think the the, the story of it is what has been so exciting, you know, besides just the tape. It's like, it's a little tape that could. It's had its own journey. And then I had it, my own journey with it. And everybody else had their own journeys discovering the music. It's just, it's kind of beautiful how we all came together to celebrate this this song that ended up on the cutting floor, but it, but it wasn't supposed to end up on the cutting floor. No, no, no. The song we're talking about, by the way, is the legendary lost uh, track from the Gaucho album called The Second Arrangement. And it sounds a little like... And there has been so much lore leading up to this. It's almost like if you had discovered this 10 years ago, it wouldn't be as exciting because there's so much built up to this that people have tried to reassemble it from demos that they have found or uh, somebody who thought they were at the session and heard something. And then people have said, well, there was probably supposed to be horns on it. So they added horns to demos. They sped them up. They matched up alternate versions. But now after all that, you brought us the real thing. I mean, the feats that people have taken to recreate this song have been short of amazing. I have been blown away and, and and part of my reason to want to put it on the internet and share it with you all is because I, I kind of wanted these people that have been doing the deep dives on it to tell me what I had. Like I, I had confirmed with Elliot and Gary that it was the deleted song, 
But there have been some kids, even in their 20s, that have spent countless hours, you know, doing like murder mystery type documentaries on it and, and, and dissecting every piece of it. I was like, look, I understand why it's so important for me to share this cassette tape with you all, because you understand exactly where it came from. The board to the engineer to your ears. There was no guessing about where this tape came from. And so I think that was really helpful for a lot of people is to go, okay, that's what it sounded like. And then, you know, they were able to build on top of that. Like they had a better foundation to build all this stuff on. Well, let's uh, real quick before we go too deep, John, um, let's set the stage for people who don't know the backstory, right? So Steely Dan is recording the Gaucho album and there is a track that one way or another goes missing supposedly this was the first track they were even working on this was their their baby beyond just being a track it was the track at the time yeah and i think i think it was even your dad roger that said this is going to be the next single as they're working on it so um tell us what you know about the night that the song went missing it apparently got deleted by accident by an assistant engineer and your dad discovers this i'm so happy i was i was not alive during this era i think i I think I was I was born in 1980, so I like to refer to myself as the Gaucho baby. Yeah. Side note: that record took so long. My parents met, dated, got married, and had me, and brought me into the studio <laughs> all during the making of Gaucho. Yeah, oh sounds about God. right. <laughs> so you know, I I wasn't there. This is just from what my mom has told me and what Elliot has told me and Gary, but. Um, a tech deleted it while they were setting up the room. My dad found him. I think he was probably on the floor crying, <laughs> you know, cause it was the baby. I don't know if the tech understood that, but you know, it was, it was the first song. I think they had almost completely finished and it was going to be the single. Um, so then my dad had to deliver the news to Gary and Gary had to deliver the news to Donald and Walter. And yeah, my dad came home like someone had died. Even my mom said, what happened? I mean, uh, I, I think the Steely Dan fans out there understand how much time and effort they put into each song. So I can only imagine something like that getting deleted. That is a major trauma event. Right. And there was some thought, well, let's maybe we can recapture the magic. And they started down that road. Then eventually it was Donald and Walter that said, nah, scrap it. Is that right? But they got pretty far from what I understand from one of your interviews. Yeah, they completed it. I think they like pretty much completed it. But Gary said that it was a new band. They couldn't get the same guys on it. And it had a totally different feel. And Donald just said, yeah, nah, scrap it. <laughs> who were, do we know who the band was on it? I have some guesses from what I hear, but was there documentation you were able to find? Uh, we could ask Gary and um, Elliot. I know for sure the drummer on the original was Ed Green. That's what I thought. And then Donald, that's definitely Donald on the roads. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know the others. We, I'd have to ask. We could ask. I have a guess on bass, John. Who's your, who you got on bass? Rainy. It's me too. Yeah, it's got to okay. be Chuck Rainey. Um, so this becomes the stuff of legends, as John was saying, right? People are trying to find it. I, John even tracked down like there was a uh, a recording that had Donald's vocal and they were trying to capture the headphone bleed that he was hearing for the reference. <laughs> you know, it's like people are going nuts for years over this, trying to find this holy grail. 
and then somehow, someday, the tape falls into your lap, so to speak. So, bring it. So, how did this ha- come to pass? Yeah, some kid digging through her dad's stuff was like, "Hey, what's this? What do I do with this?" And the internet was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, did like light come down and go? Ah, any of that? Any sound? Anything? No. I think I heard my my dad used to have this cell phone ring that went. <laughs> there was no white light. It was more like emergency, emergency. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I understood that it was a deleted song. I understood that it was special. I thought most of my dad's stuff was special, but that's just because I might have inherited a little bit of the hoarding that he had. Like, I can't <laughs> throw anything away. I'm not a hoarder where I buy stuff and I pile it up, but I just, I have, I have such a, I put sentimental value on everything. I can't throw anything away either. So I get you, dad. Like I understand you, dad. (laughs) So, you know, I, I understood it was special. I kept it in my safe, but I didn't understand what was happening behind the scenes and that for the past decade, uh, people, a, a lot of kids, honestly, I've met a lot of teenagers and 20 year olds that have spent a couple years on this. Um, th- there's a whole lost media. Uh, there's a whole lost media circle of people who search for things that got lost and try to find them, recreate them and share them. So you have these lost media fans and these Steely Dan fans coming together to create another perfect storm of, <laughs> of, 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 you know, time and talent and the focus and the drive, you know, to, to unearth this stuff. So sorry if that's a little long-winded, but I, I didn't know what I had. I didn't understand the importance until I put it on the internet. And that's why I took so long to finally figure out how to share it with everybody because I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that part. But I was, I just more hit a wall and I just wanted to be, be like, Hey, Facebook, Hey, internet friends, help me figure out what to do with this stuff. Just in a moment of desperation. I was like, what do I do with this stuff? And it was just one of the series of things that I had posted online. Were there any markings on the tape that we, uh, so that we maybe know, how far along this was? Was it a final mix? Was it a rough mix? Was it just something a work in progress and but close to done? Was there what did it say on it? Just two N D A R R. That's it. It was someone quickly writing second R. It was right. a work tape. From what I understood, it was something that they would get from the board and in theory listen to that night to come on yeah. in the next day and work on whatever they needed to work on. So it was a work in progress, but it was close to when it got deleted. My mom said he came home with it the night before. Um, It was definitely like a tape that came out of the studio right before it got deleted. Everybody, myself included, theorizes that there was probably yet to be horns put on it. It sounds like there's places where they intended to do horns. That's my assessment. But other people online, believe it or not, have already started taking this version and adding horn parts to it because they <laughs> think that that's what it needs. And they're probably right. I'm so confused about the horns. This is all also why I'm very glad I shared about it because I, I was like, I don't know about the horn thing. I think I asked Gary and Elliot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the horn situation. So maybe people could enlighten us. Because the things I have found do not have horns on them. But 
Also, there was supposed to be a horn part. So I'm a little. Yeah, confused. that's what I mean. Well, because there's so much uh, on other tracks on the album, I guess they're thinking, well, what's what else is there spread across the Gaucho album that I'm not hearing here? And that might be horns. So, Simpsy, when you find this tape, so um, I, you're sort of afraid to play it, right? Because it's this old thing that who yeah. knows if the cassette deck's going to eat it up. And then you take it out to a studio in L.A., right, to hear it for the first time yourself? Yeah, we had never played it. Um, first of all, I haven't had a cassette player in 20 years. So, <laughs> I mean, I literally couldn't play it. And then once I realized it was really important, thanks to all my friends on the Internet, I was like, uh, I can't play this unless I'm transferring it at the same time. I understood the importance of that, being my father's daughter. I knew that tapes degrade. If something was wrong with the tape, I could play it and ruin it at the same time, even more. Like I needed an archivist to help me. So that took some time to figure out. We were in the middle of a pandemic. Um, in Los Angeles, we weren't leaving our house. So it, it took me a minute to get to the studio. And I went to United Recording uh, at, with an archivist there, Bill Smith. He's in, and he helped me play the tape for the first time and transfer it while we were listening to it. So there was a lot of pressure. I felt the pressure that I put on myself because I didn't want any, I didn't want to let anybody down. I wanted something to be on the tape just as much as everybody else did. And I did not know if there was anything on the tape. It was so stressful. Yeah. Is that the only thing that was on the tape? Just the one tune? There's three things. Oh yeah. So it's a twenty minute. Don't, work let's, let's not tell them. Let's not tell them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want to keep it from. Yeah. <laughs> there's a YouTube video that we will post in our show notes that has all three songs. Simsy, what are they? So it's the second arrangement, and there's a few places where Donald's vocal drops out, and I'm assuming it's because it was a work tape, um, and maybe they were gonna punch that in or whatever. My dad was listening to was what he brought home. Not a hundred percent sure. And then there's the instrumental track. So there's the rhythm track. Oh, okay. And then there's a rough mix of okay, it was called it ended up on the album as Third World Man, but it was called something else before that. Were you blind that day? Fix your ears on that when we're done listening to this awesome podcast. Um <laughs> <laughs> But it was uh, it was really I just really Quickly, it was so clear for a cassette. I, I mean, I did go on the internet and I listened to a few of the demos I heard up and I was like, oh, these do sound awful. Yeah. For people, like this is what they've been listening to. So the cassette was really clear and you could hear the background singers and it and it sounded beautiful for a cassette. I mean, I didn't release anything that wasn't already out there. I just gave people something easier to listen to. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aside from the tape hiss, which you really only focus on at the beginning, it's it's like darn near crystal clear. But as they say online, wait, there's more. Because then you found a DAT tape. 
version of this tune. I know. I life is wild, y'all. Life is wild. <laughs> I I I'm you know, in the pandemic, then I'm going through a divorce and I'm packing up my house just like the second arrangement, weirdly. I was packing wow. up my belongings in a Gladstone bag, <laughs> my life <laughs> and laundry. And I was like, oh, I'm song. Uh, why is my life this song right now? So, you know, I'm talking with a family friend and I'm like, you know, the second arrangement tape, I have to figure out how to share it with everybody. I don't know how. And he kept talking about horns. And I said, you know, I have a dat in my dad's tubs because we still have tubs of dat tapes. And I remember there was a dat that said second arrangement on it. And I had just assumed that it was a copy of the tape because my dad, being the archivist he was, would always transfer things to the next medium. So uh, never assume <laughs> because it wasn't the tape. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And my family friend encouraged me to go transfer that. And so before I made my big move out of L.A. and packed all my stuff in a U-Haul box, I uh, went back down to United Recording and I said, hey, let me transfer this dat too. I should just listen to what's on it. I thought it was the tape. And as soon as we started playing it, it wasn't the tape, which was even a weird. It was like even I, I laughed. Honestly, y'all, I, I cackled because there was another <laughs> mystery. And now yeah. I have the dat. I didn't know where it came from. And it was different from the tape. I was like, forget it. I just have to share this with you all because I have no idea what this is. It's, what's different about the dat version? Okay, so the dat is what sounds like a rough mix of the whole thing with the vocals. And it sounds weirdly crappier than the tape. <laughs> so I don't know. I, my only guess there is that there was a rough mix of the song. Elliot uh, did tell me that there was a rough mix on the song because after the song got deleted, they kind of scrambled to figure out what everybody had, you know, and Al Elliot did have, he said he had like a two track rough mix yeah. that, th that they tried to tweak, but they just couldn't get into it. Like they wanted to that, you know, a Steely Dan song of that era, you know, didn't it, it, they just couldn't do to it what they had wanted to do to it um, for, from gaucho standards. Right. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't going to work, but my assumption is that this is a copy of a rough mix that my dad had and transferred it to dad in the late eighties. Cause dads didn't exist until the late eighties. Right. Right. And then hmm. I, I don't know, you know, we don't have any master tapes. Those are all with the record company. When my dad died, we gave away everything else we had to the record companies. Um, so, yeah, it's a mystery what that's a copy of. Um, but it's my assumption it's a rough mix. From a, so I don't know what though. Why does it sound crappier than the tape? That's the mystery. Yeah, almost like something that was mixed to a cassette and then he burned that over to dat from the cassette or something it's just weird i don't know why a dat would sound so bad it, but it, it sounds like a sense. different mix we'll post that yeah. on the so on the show it's definitely a too. different mix it's, it's definitely a different, different mix so it's it's yeah. very bizarre but you don't get the tape piss okay well we denoised the dat actually was so noisy that we denoised it um the cassette i just transferred 
and shared because I didn't want to mess with it. I literally wanted to say, this is what I have. Everybody listen to what I have. I didn't want to mess with it like I knew what I was doing or I could tell someone what to do. You know, that wasn't... Well, people have taken it upon themselves to fix it themselves too. So I've seen denoised and versions of it already. It's it's so funny how it's just blossoming into everybody's doing their own take on the thing. Great, yeah. <laughs> oh, I I had a conversation with some of the kid these kids that made a robodon. Yes, I <laughs> they made an AI robodon to sing yeah. the missing lyrics. Oh my gosh. Yeah, is there anything scarier than regular Fagan, but Robo Fagan, <laughs> AI Fagan? I mean, that I, thing will that, be the death of us all. His his intelligence is already artificial. I mean, <laughs> what do you do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Can I ask a? I want to ask a question that relates to all of this. It relates to Gaucho heavily and relates to your dad, obviously, but is not directly to that particular tape. And we can always come back to that, Tom, if you have more notes. But I wanted to know the um, the website now that has the all of the samples all the original wendell samples is that something that you commissioned as well from this because there was originally the wendell that roger invented and had his own proprietary samples that he used but later there was a commercial uh there was a commercial version made called wendell jr that had a select group of samples but not everything but now the original samples the entire library has apparently been unearthed and been remastered fixed up whatever and is now for sale right so is this part of your reclamation project yes and i'm so happy you brought it up so thank you thank you so much for sharing about it it's another project that i'm super excited about um i i asked my dad's protege uh, Jason Levine, who's also a principal at Adobe. He he is the evangelist for Adobe. He's head of marketing. He does all the videos, the training videos. And he was my dad's assistant and protege during the Nashville years in the mid-90s and helped my dad archive Roy Orbison. And so he really understood how my dad worked. My dad taught him how to mic drums I am so grateful that he helped me archive these samples, clean them up, organize them into a deliverable to be able to sell to everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it was a labor of love. We worked on it for the past six months. And so, you know, my dad had folders and, and there was one that said Wendell Archives. So I knew we had the sounds and it wasn't until, you know... Look, the AI revolution is upon us. People are taking out samples from songs. And and uh, there was one company that made their own Wendell sample pack from sampling Wendell Jr. cartridges. Right. So, so things were already starting to get released that were Wendell related. And that kind of inspired us to say, you know what? We should release the real thing so people can have the real samples to have fun with. And um, that that's what we did. That's what we did. And... Jason Levine is amazing. He went through each sample and cleaned it up and did his magical technical guru stuff on him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, but the sounds were there and he would get so excited. Yeah. It's instant gaucho sound and it was, they were super cheap too. So where, where can people get them? Wendell sample pack.com. Wendell sample pack.com. 
Well, it, Simpsy, isn't that part of, I thought I read that you were going to now auction off this cassette, right? Mm-hmm. That you found. And as part of wow. it, you will get a thumb drive that has that same Wendell sample pack on it. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, bonus pack. Let's yes. get those money cannons fired up, people. <laughs> <laughs> How and when is this auction occurring? Okay. I'm having a little, cold, I'm having cold feet, y'all. <laughs> I'm having cold feet. On, I'm parting with it. Yeah. yeah. I framed it. <laughs> As you it. said earlier, you put, uh, you want to talk about having sentimental value. Jeez Louise. This is the definition of it. I framed it with a chart that we found. I think it's the rhythm section. Uh huh. And it's so beautiful. And yeah, I'm not sure when we're going to auction it off. You know, I thought, when we released the tape, I, I thought, you know what? It's time for somebody else to enjoy it. And the tape has such a beautiful history. It's like the little tape that could. And, you know, my sister and I decided to frame it so it looked really nice. And we thought maybe a collector would like to have it. Um, so, so yes, eventually we will sell it just so somebody else could appreciate it. Have you talked to like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or anything like that? Uh, yeah, we talked to Julian's ooh. auctions. Um, I mean, I'd love it to end up in a museum type of thing and not just some guy's vault. Oh. What if it was my vault? Yeah. <laughs> you could come see it. <laughs> Where's that money nah. cannon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and also it was our way of kind of trying to figure out how to cover costs for all this stuff. Cause you know, yeah, true. I, I just, we, we did spend money archiving it. And so, I mean, the framing was a little extra. We didn't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go extra. <laughs> Is there any chance that the, some version of the song would see light of day and be published. Have you, I mean, have you spoken with the Fagan camp, for example? Um, I've spoken to people around Fagan and uh, have known him. And, uh, you know, just my personal opinion is that's going to be a hard no. Cause unless I, there's literally no way to recreate it. It's a 1980s song. You don't have Roger. You don't have Walter. You don't have the band. Like, there's no way to recreate the second arrangement. And also, Dono might have Donald might have trauma. Like, maybe we <laughs> shouldn't bother him about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a good song. Aside from the lore of it, this would easily be my first or second favorite song on the album, John. I don't know where it stands for you. I just love this group. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do yeah. you think about this song, John? Absolutely. I I would. I, I might leave the album with it. It's we always talked about when we covered that album top to bottom. It was just such a strange way to start. That it was uh, isn't Babylon Sisters first? Just do do do. Here we go. Like, Out of drum on, machine, man. no less. Uh, no. <laughs> Wait. Uh, no. What? Yeah. Where would it go? I think seventh. So right before the third world man. I don't know. Second. Actually. Second would be pithy. Yeah, but you'd have to start with Hey 19. That's what I would do. Hey 19 goes first, followed by second arrangement. This one song, by Let's the way. Let's just do the whole record. By the way, so listeners will hopefully recall that Gaucho was not my favorite Steely Dan record. If this song were on it, though, it I would change the entire complexion of the album hmm. for me. It's, you'd it's still like, complain about the drum machine, though. See, he doesn't like drum yeah. machines the way I love them. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's cool. That's, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a bass player. And I like when I make a mistake, I want a stick thrown at me. And yeah. John would do that, but Wendell would not. Oh. Wendell's got manners. Yeah. 
look, my, for the record, my dad was the drummer's best friend. He even paid, you know, Jeff Bacara and everybody, whatever samples they were using that day, they paid the mm, guys. No kidding. Okay, cool. So, wow. Yeah. So if I get this window pack, I could have Picaro, <laughs> right? And, and then yeah. I'm going to use Jay Graydon's. I'm going to have Jay Graydon's um, E Road sample. Yeah. Um, I think I could put this whole thing together on my own. Robo Don can be on vocals. <laughs> <Robo> <laughs> It's so fun. people have been starting to send me their tracks that they've been making with Wendell. And I, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. The new life that's been, uh, you know, breathed, breathed into the Steely Dan, um, for sure. Fandom. I mean, I think, you know, there, like I said, there's this whole new group of 20, 30 year olds that have, have kind of br- brought a, about a danaissance they're calling it <laughs> danaissance right now danaissance. and then wow. they get to use these samples to to have fun with their tracks i mean yes you could make gaucho like recordings or nightfly like recordings but also i'm really excited that they get to use my dad's drum samples i'm pretty sure and i don't think i'm being biased my dad was one of the best recording engineers on the planet and being able to capture sound, you know, in, in such a beautiful, clean, clear way. It, it, and like where you could get the feel of the sample, not just like some sterile, boom. like he would even get like the drum trailing off or he's really good at recording drums and percussion. So you could actually feel that in these samples. Like I can feel the soul in these samples, if that makes sense. (laughs) It doesn't feel so sterile. Yeah. That's such an art that is lost. I'm glad that he at least passed it on to his protege because there's so many people making recordings now or even putting out drum libraries and all those, but they just, I don't know. They don't have the, whatever you call it, the soul of hearing the way that they recorded back then. And they recorded that way back then for a myriad of reasons that we've covered on this show. And some of it was just by necessity or lack of ability to process it later, so they had to get it right now. But the sounds of that era, and particularly you mentioned you know, your dad, and I know that he also worked with Al Schmidt and Elliot Shiner. Those guys were the essence of recording drum sounds, and that's why those recordings of that era sound so great. Everything fits around them perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yep. yep. So what's your favorite Steely Dan album, Tom, if it's not Gaucho? Asia. But Asia. Ooh, mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. Deacon Blues. Mm-hmm. Deacon Blues I love- is such a good song. It, it, Josie's, I think, my favorite song. So, And I love Deacon Blues as well. So, yeah. And I'm obviously big gaucho. And then, of course, Nightfly. Those are the two. And then, you know, Asia's right there for me. But I love, there's something, you know, going back to the way that your dad worked. And um, a lot of people have used the terminology of going for, quote, perfection. And I think that there's something that the word perfection used in the context, I don't see Roger, and maybe you have some insight into this. I didn't see him or Donald Walter, which is why they worked so well together. I didn't see them as somebody that looked for perfection. Some say that they looked like uh, 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 Dean Park said they looked for perfection and then went beyond it. But they're almost like scientific in the sense that 
there is no such thing as perfection. They're always looking to, no matter what we've done, we can do the next thing. There's always the next thing. There's never, we've reached it and it's done. You know, it's like the guitar player's search for tone or the golf swing that, you know, the guy's looking to perfect his golf swing. There's never that final resting place of saying we're done. They're always looking to go beyond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And and also a point that I've heard my dad say in lectures is, is you did have to know when to be done because the way that these guys worked, and you're right, they would raise the bar, they would jump over it, they're pushing boundaries, they're inventing things in the studio like Wendell, like having computers in the studio in 1978 was like ridiculous. Yeah. It's like they would almost challenge each other. Even with Wendell, Donald was like, can't you make a machine? And my dad was like, sure. You know, it's like they almost (laughs) liked the challenge of trying to create these things into the studio that would, that would satisfy whatever perfect was to them. They were all geniuses. So Donald, I mean, okay. Yes, Donald. You had a uncanny sense of timing. And because of that, my dad had to help him figure out how to create drum tracks that were perfect, but yet human. I mean, that's like not a lot, not a lot of people would spend the time to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well that that's going beyond perfection. That that's exactly that. Is it we look to the next thing beyond perfection. Yeah. And so they couldn't use just like the whatever drum machine existed at the time, like pew, 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 pew. Like they had to invent what they needed. So yeah, they wanted to retain the character of, say, the Asia feel, right? That it's a band. Although they wanted, you know, Donald wanted the the perfect drum beat. So but they managed to pull that off. But I Last question for me, John, and I don't know what else you have. First of all, I just wanted to thank you for bringing this story to the world, for one, certainly, but bringing this this backstory to our audience and to John and I. My question to you is, because I've seen you do all these other interviews, and I hear all these great stories about your dad. What should we remember Roger Nickel for? This feels like the question at the end of like a pageant where like the judges, <laughs> the judges yeah. ask you like this really. So just say world peace. Yeah. I want world peace. Roger, yeah. yeah. Roger Nichols for world peace. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Eat everything and pee on your plate. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. That was my grandpa's old joke. Oh, my oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. My dad was a punster. My dad was a punster. Roger Nichols, what he loved. I'll give you a few things that he loved to say in, in my, in my archiving of all of his stuff. I finally listened to his lectures. I didn't listen to them when mm. I was a kid. Cause who wants to hear your dad talk about yeah. audio, like yeah. whatever dad, but now that, you know, the past decade, I've really taken a deep dive into what he has to say. You know, he, he was really proud of being five milliseconds ahead of his time where he could always just, <laughs> he could always think of the next thing. And yeah. Strive for perfection in everything you do, and you'll never have any regrets. Now, I'm not trying to encourage like perfectionism in in the sense that, you know, striving for things so that you never complete them, but just do the best you can. And that's it. It'll show up in your work. And I really appreciated him, him teaching. You know, he taught younger people. All of his tips and tricks, all of his secrets. He didn't keep anything secret. He was really generous with his time. He wanted people to understand recording. He wanted to share all of his knowledge because he wanted to 
have good things to listen to. You know, he hated the loudness wars. He didn't like MP3s. Oh my God, he'd be rolling right now. He hated cassettes. But, you know, he just, he really wanted people to appreciate the importance of sound and, and, and how good that makes people feel when they can hear things so beautifully recorded. I mean, yes, there's albums that you could, you know, jam out to that recorded in a garage and it's fine, but <laughs> he really, it, he really was the ultimate sound therapist, mm-hmm. <laughs> capturing mm-hmm. these frequencies and delivering them to people. And I think that's literally resonated with all of the fans. Yeah. And the reason that people are still interested in this music today and people like us that even maybe been listening to it for 30, 40 years is that because of the way he recorded it, A, it's a comfortable listen. It's easy on the ears going back to your loudness wars. But secondly, that you can hear everything and every nuance of everything. It gives you more to study and more to notice every time you listen. If you choose to go in and immerse yourself in a Steely Dan record, you will hear something you didn't hear the last time. I don't care how many times you listen to it. Mm, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love it. And what's beautiful is an art form that he was helping to create, you know, with Steely Dan was the perfect match for his skill set. But, um, the thing about what we love about this music, just to end cap it maybe, is even those of us and others who are trying to replicate the artistry in the perfection from back then, even when we're intentionally trying to do it, we can't do it. We have better technology and more capacity, but what those artists created back then was just magic. That's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Simpson Nichols. This was awesome. Um, keep us updated. So if you want to come back on and tell us the next chapter of this, because I know the story's not over, feel free anytime. Thanks. Yeah. I'm so grateful because I feel like this is just beginning and it, and uh, and I really appreciate talking to you all. Yep. And she's a very fun follow because as she discovers new things and new additions, she shares them on Twitter. And so, yeah. I've been following for three, four years. So definitely, yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Well, I did not mean to stump the guest that way. We weren't playing stump the guest, but I guess I did. You know, I actually ran out of questions because it seemed like the more that, and she alluded to this, it's kind of like the more that they dug into this, it raised more questions or they found stuff that, so with more questions and I knew that she didn't have the answers to some of them. So I was going to Senator muse on some things, but she wouldn't have the answers either. It's just like, we've opened up a box. I'm not going to say Pandora's box, but a box (laughs) that seems to have more in it than we realized beyond this cassette. Yep. Well, cool. I think I don't remember, but I think that Pandora thing ended up. Okay. So let's just keep, keep looking. Well, I've actually, my lightning round is actually very unorthodox because it's got some of the other mysteries that revolve around Steely Dan that we've kind of covered or asked about in the past. And I've kind of, through watching and listening through and reading through some of the uh, Roger Nichols stuff to prepare for this, I found the answers to some questions that we've had. So that's what my lightning round is made of. Okay. My lightning round was a bit unorthodox in the making as well, because I thought, first of all, how do you get any more buried treasure than what we just talked about? 
That's the essence of it. Yeah, I think we maybe we should just sunset that whole buried treasure program after this. <laughs> well, also, how do you get anything more importantly found at sea than this? True, true. It's not off the map, though. Well, is there anything more off the map than the mind of Donald Fagan? So what I have is I have four loosely related items connected to three unrelated categories of found at sea, buried treasure, and off the map. So how all shall right. we begin? Why don't you begin? Well, all right. So I'm sure yours is well, much more orthodox. Not really. Uh, one of the I talked about this one time uh, that Roger Nichols was because of the expectation of what Donald, he particularly references Donald more than Walter in some of this stuff, in some of this perfectionist stuff that Donald had specifically as it relates to drum tracks and wanting exacting drum tracks. Well, even later when they did the Two Against Nature albums, we're talking 2000 when that was released. By then, Pro Tools had come out, and so now Donald gets to do all of his perfectionists with the virtually seemingly unlimited possibilities of Pro Tools as opposed to the limits of tape and, and analog back in the day. So they were working on a song called Cousin Dupree. Well, I've kicked around a lot since high school i worked a lot of nowhere From keyboard man in a rockin' sky band The hall and boss are the big rigs Now I've come back home to plan my next move From the comfort of my one of these lectures shows Roger with the Pro Tools screen up on a, sort of a big screen to show the, the audience. And he's saying, you look at this and it looks like one big block of audio because there's so many edits. He said, if you zoom in, what you see is there is an edit on every hi-hat hit, every snare drum hit, every kick drum hit, every tom hit across the entire spectrum of all of the drum tracks to align them exactly the way Roger wanted. But it kept crashing the system. So Roger calls the Pro Tools uh, science, or, you know, whatever, their support department and explains what's happening. And they say, well, how many edits do you have? And he says, 317,281. <laughs> And their, their the, response was, you, yeah, <laughs> you, you mean 3,000, right? He says, no, 317,000. And their response was, wow, we didn't know it would even count that high. Well, maybe we'll, we'll have to call you back. <laughs> so Amazing. He, Donald even crashed early versions of Pro Tools. Oh, my God. Incredible. Yep. All right. Well, here's my found at sea is short and sweet. So obviously this uh, this cassette tape was found at sea. But what we didn't mm-hmm. realize was we were getting a bonus track, which was the aforementioned Were You Blind That Day, which then became Third World Man. So here's a little bit of Were You Blind That Day. You Basically, third world band with different lyrics. Yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. What made him go back and decide on? I mean, it's a complete lyric rebuild. Yeah, concept. I know. It's not. There's not a tweak. Right. <laughs> it's like, Lots of mysteries. Yes. Yes. Well, this leads me to my buried treasure. In case people did not listen to our Gaucho episode and don't know the whole lore of what happened after second arrangement was gone missing, they needed a track, and they grabbed the track "Third World Man" from the Royal Scam Sessions. So they went back into the archives, as is their want in the Nichols family. Ooh, that was from Royal Scam, or was it Asia? Royal Scam I thought it was Asia, Asia but the internet uh, specifically. Okay. Let me read you this quote. Uh, this is um, Larry Carlton discovering that he was uh, nominated for a, a Grammy uh, for a guitar solo that he played on an album he never went to a session <laughs> for. <laughs> he said, Billboard Magazine comes out about Gaucho, what's writing about the new Steely Dan release, blah, 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 in the great guitar solo by Larry Carlton. And I said, but I didn't play on Gaucho. They cut it <laughs> in New York, and I didn't play on it. So I found out later they had finished mixing in New York, and one of the second engineers erased one of the master tracks. Of course, we know now that's second arrangement. So Third World Man was in the can from the Royal Scam, and they had to reach back into the old tapes and find something to finish the album, and that's how I ended up on Gaucho playing Third World Man. Huh. All right. Well, man, we're uncovering all sort of <laughs> mysteries here. Yes. Man, that- I mean, my entire lightning round is made up of mysteries. So I found... Um, we need a sound effect for the mysteries. I know. I'll come up with something. I found out a little more about the DBX story on Katie Lied. If you remember, the Katie Lied album uh, is something that supposedly Donald will still not listen to to this day because it never sounds right to him. And the problem was... The DBX. So DBX, in short, is a noise reduction system different than Dolby because what DBX does, it works across the entire sound spectrum, whereas Dolby just kind of works on high frequencies and sort of diminishes hiss. But DBX is a complete encode, and then it needs to be decoded properly in order for it to do its trick. It's not as simple as Dolby. Well, apparently when they were mixing Katie Lied, unbeknownst to them, there were some odd electromagnetic phenomena going on. Hmm. He said one of them was there was an AM FM radio station playing nearby that had just was going defunct like right after they were mixing. So that shut down. There was some sort of grounding issue in the building that they were in. You know, it never affected them. But what happened was they did this mix with the Dolby or the DBX encoding. And when they went to listen to it back to review it, they could never get it to play back right. Because since they did the mix, the grounding issue had been fixed. This AM FM radio station had gone defunct. And all of this stuff that was adding quirkiness and weirdness into the electrical system in this studio was affecting the DBX unit. And now when it was playing back, it was playing back without these issues and it wasn't the same. And they could never replicate these oddities because they never really understood what was going on. They went so far as to go to Boston where DBX headquarters is, and they had a version of the DBX encoder decoder that was sort of opened up gutted where you could tweak and turn every little capacitor or whatever. Uh, He said it was like a bunch of ears on it that they could turn and tweak in order to try to get it to play back and figure out how to do it. They were never able to replicate the DBX code 
to decode this. So they had to go back and remix the album from the ground up. And that's why they were never happy with the mixes. Because, you know, once you had it right, you can never really reassemble it. Right. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that something? Oh, my God. Yes. There's like these haunted ghosts that are surrounding all of this uh, Steely Dan work here. Well, I'll give you one more before uh, I hand it back to you. And that was we talked about Showbiz Kids. Showbiz Kids, uh, we covered that when we were talking about um, some of the drums that were as an eight-bar loop. At some point, Donald said to Roger, can't we just get eight bars that are perfect and then loop it? And Roger's like, yeah, my understanding was it was the drums. Turns out that is not the case. They Mm. built out an eight bar. They got the drums eight bars perfect. But then when they went and put the bass on, the guitar on, uh, the backup vocals, the keyboard parts, everything but the solos and lead vocals. So the entire band track only worked on this eight bars. It's not like they recorded the whole song and picked the best eight bars. They wow. just said, here's eight bars. We're going to play your part over this. Then once they had those that eight bar section of all those parts, they would mix that down to another deck where they then were adding the solos and the uh, lead vocals too. So the bed track you're hearing is the same eight bars throughout the entirety of that song. Wow. You know, I was listening to it today and I was thinking maybe that was the case. Oh, that is fascinating. Yeah. Learn yeah. something new every day on this podcast. All right. Mm. I got one more, but I'm going to turn the, uh, the rudder back to you for a moment. Okay. Well, I'm going off the map. So is that okay? It's Pretty far off the map. Maybe we should stay slightly on topic, and you do yours, and I'll finish this up. All right, all right. Then this is on topic, (laughs) because I I had no idea, and I never would have guessed this if I hadn't heard it from Roger himself in one of his lectures. He he, he revealed the secret. Did you realize that Wendell is on Al Jarreau's We're In This Love Together? No. We have heaped praise on Steve Gadd for that, and he did play it. But apparently during the recording of that, that whatever was the take, that everything else was perfect, somewhere in the song, uh, Steve Gadd broke his snare head. Now, first of all, it's a miracle I didn't know he hit hard enough to break a snare head. But (laughs) that aside, apparently he broke the snare drum head somewhere along the line and continued to play through the take, hitting the rim or something like that instead of the snare drum. But... What they had on there was at least something on the snare drum track that denoted where all the hits go. So he was able to use Wendell to be triggered, have the snare drum track trigger samples in Wendell. So they ended up actually replacing all of the kick drums and all of the snare drums on Steve Gadd's track, We're in This Love Together, uh, with Wendell. Wow. Can you believe that? So he's playing it, but it's just triggering Wendell sounds. Yeah. So the overheads, which will have all the cymbals and the toms and all that stuff, is from his take. But the actual, what would be considered the close mic on the snare and the kick are being replaced by Wendell. I had no idea. So apparently this, what happened was that they had this issue and they knew that they had the perfect take. Everything else was just like they wanted it. And Graydon had somehow, because Graydon was producing We're In This Love Together, had somehow gotten wind of what was going on with this development of Wendell. I mean, it was barely, you know, it was in its infancy then. And he called Roger up and said, I hear you got this thing called Wendell that can 
help me with this. Can you do it? And Roger, in typical fashion, said, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that straight eight fill near the uh, fade out, yeah. that really happened? But It really happened, but you're hearing Wendell snare drum. Uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha or gaucho, did you say? Gaucho, gotcha. Gotcha, gaucho. Gotcha. Gaucho. Okay. Uh, you really do learn something new every day on this podcast, mm. including yeah. the following. Ooh. Are you familiar with the uh, Mermaid Avenue project, the collaboration between Billy Bragg and Wilco? I am not. Okay, so it's nineteen ninety. Surprised? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you're not a genre hopper like me. Uh, anyways, yeah. nineteen ninety. I just don't hop into that one. That's all. So this is um, Nora Guthrie. So why this is on topic? It's a very similar story. So Nora Guthrie is the daughter of Woody. She is the archivist, and uh, she is manages the estate, and she's got all of the stuff, including boxes and boxes and boxes of lyric sheets. And she has the idea that she wants some artist to turn this into music. And on these sheets, there's no music. There's like some vague notes about what it might feel like or sound like, but just lyrics. And so it dawns on her one day, about two weeks after seeing Billy Bragg play live, that Billy Bragg is the guy to do it. And so she approaches Billy Bragg and he's really interested in the project, but he says, I'm not the band to pull off Woody Guthrie. So I'll tell you what, if Wilco agrees to do it, I will do the project. And so he calls Wilco. Wilco agrees. They ended up doing it. It's a star-studded kind of guest album. Very highly acclaimed. There's a follow-up to it. Um, So why is any of that, aside from the tie to Simpsy, even relevant on a Yacht Rock podcast? I am asking the very question. Well, it's not. But it is relevant to the musicians that we love from the same era, including... I found out just two weeks ago that Bob Seger did a 2014 cover of one of my favorite songs off Mermaid Avenue. Here's Bob Seger doing California Stars. I'd like to rest my heavy head tonight on our bed of California Stars. I'd like to lay my weary bones tonight on our bed. Stars, I'd love to feel your hand touching mine and tell me why I must keep working. So 2014 was the release. Did we know when he recorded it? What is it? Does it was it about that time? It was a single, yeah. Okay. That yeah, so a single in 2014. So I'm guessing he recorded it about that time. It couldn't have been pre-1998, mind you. Yeah. So wow. Interesting. So it's an interesting little project what they put together and uh i i like it it doesn't sound exactly like wilco it doesn't sound exactly like billy bragg but the two it's a unique project but this <laughs> this wow. uh, bob Seeger version is killer so Man, there you go this i can't believe this wasn't a bermuda triangle episode i mean with all the weirdness <laughs> and uh, mysteries and enigmas wrapped in riddles you would you'd think it was i know lots of fun facts to share and enjoy man i almost don't want to end the episode too bad ahoy polloi 